You're listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome to the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast that's designed to help you save and improve your marriage no matter where you are in the process, whether you're at the beginning even trying to avoid problems or if you are further along into the crisis. Maybe you feel like you have fallen off the cliff, which is kind of my point of today's conversation. But today's conversation actually will apply all the way across the board because I'm going to tell you how you can avoid the deeper problems and how you can climb out of the deeper problems if you find yourself faced with that. Now, this podcast has been going on since 2013 and has been listened now uh, 3.75 million times. So a lot of people are listening in and I want to make sure that I am addressing your concerns. So if you have a question, you have some issue you want me to cover, I would love to hear about it. I'm looking for kind of that that Goldilocks question, the one that's not so specific that it only would apply to you, like you want me to give you some coaching by podcast. We have other ways of doing that, but not on the podcast, and not so broad that you would say, so how do you save your marriage? That's why I created the Save the Marriage system, but somewhere in between, that's the Goldilocks and, and so the, today the Goldilocks is combining a bunch of questions that people have asked me because many times they tell me that they didn't see it coming. They had no idea that there was a crisis. In fact, some of the things I hear is people saying, well, it happened all at once, kind of out of nowhere. It, it hit out of nowhere. I didn't see it coming. And then some others that are even more curious, like we were the perfect couple. And then this, right? And, and everybody looked to us as the perfect couple. Now we're, we're in trouble. And then sometimes I hear from people who say, you know, a week ago or a month ago or six months ago or a year ago, I was, that I was getting love letters from this person. Now they want a divorce. I don't understand what's going on. And so they think it came out of nowhere. So let me draw a, a slight analogy on the reverse. You know, we see these people who are, quote, overnight sensations, especially in the movie industry or the, the, uh, the song industry, the music industry. Suddenly, there they are. They're at the top of the charts, and, and, and you never saw that rise. And what you basically missed is the 10 to 20 years of work that was going into that, playing the small gigs and doing the small things and work practicing and, and messing up and making mistakes and learning along the way. And suddenly, there is success. And it looks like overnight, but in reality, it has you know, 10, 20 years behind it. That's the reverse of this. Marriage crises that look like they happened overnight, but they really have years and years of history behind them. This isn't coming out of nowhere. There's always a process that gets to here, and that's kind of where I want to, to focus our attention today. I want to tell you a little bit about my own story, because how our human body sometimes goes through things is how our relationships, they're just as organic, how they go through things. And so the same way we grow and develop in our life, and the same way we get into trouble in our physical life, often mimics that in relationships. So let me just kind of take you back. 
Now, I won't say that I was ever the specimen uh, of athleticism or anything else. You know, I always kind of branded myself as not being athletic. And through college, you know, I jogged a little bit and, and worked out, did a few things, but not a lot uh, because, you know, I really had the mindset that I wasn't the athlete. And so uh, I, when I went to grad school, you know, I was focusing on trying to use my brain to get me somewhere in life, knowing that my athletic ability and my hands weren't going to do it. And so I was in grad school to make sure I was using the part of my brain that seemed to, or part of my body that seemed to be most adept at uh, making progress. And that was my brain. So there I was in grad school, things getting my attention. And sure, I noticed that, you know, I had to up my pant size a little bit. And sure, I noticed that my belts weren't fitting anymore. I noticed that, but I kind of chalked it up to, of course, everybody gains a few pounds, you know, as they get older. And now here I am in my <laughs> my 20s. And so, of course, I've gained a few pounds. And, and then here I am, you know, 30. Of course, I gained a few pounds. And then, you know, of course, when my wife went through her pregnancy, I had went ahead and added a little weight onto that. And I justified it the whole time, you know, that this is just what happens when you have to settle into life and be an adult. And so no big deal. Nothing's going to happen from that. And along the way, I didn't exercise as much. I mean, you know, put on a little weight. It's a little harder to exercise, a little harder to exercise. You put on a little weight and it becomes kind of this little perpetual machine, at least for me. This is my experience. And so little by little, little at a time, I began to fall out of shape. And I didn't recognize it until I got sick, until my body finally rebelled. Then all at once, I'm suddenly at the bottom of the heap going, how did this happen? You know, how could I get this, this problem that I had that looked like it was going to be maybe a career ender and maybe a life ender? How, how did that come to be? And I missed the pound the pound, the less exercise, the more stress, the pound, the pound, the less exercise, the more stress, the repetitive piece of that that finally culminated in my body just not being able to push forward. I had a buddy of mine who uh, just uh, recently went through multiple bypass surgery, heart uh, bypass surgery, uh, to get around some very damaged arteries. And what he told me is that they told him that his body was only getting about 20% of what it needed in the blood flow because those veins and the arteries were so clogged that, you know, it wasn't able to keep going. And he didn't know it. He never noticed it. But he was just right on the edge of having one more thing that went from the slight clogs to life being over to having a heart attack. And he didn't notice it because it happened so slowly. But his life could have been over all of the sudden. That doesn't mean something wasn't going on in the back the whole time. That doesn't mean that the issues weren't happening all over time, just like with me. I read a recent article by uh, someone who had asked a divorce attorney of why marriages get into trouble. What happens? How do marriages end? And I loved his quote. He said, it happens a little at a time, and then all at once, a little at a time, and all at once. And what he meant as he unpacked that was that the little things over time, they start to build up. The little disconnects over time, they start to build up until finally all at once, it's gone. 
And because it happens so slowly, because it happens one little action or lack of action at a time, one word or lack of a word at a time, the people who are involved don't know what's happening. They don't see it. It's like the proverbial frog in the kettle. You know, that's the story. You know, I've, I've understood that it's not the case. But the story is that if you put a frog into a kettle of cold water and you turn on the stove, I mean, you know, lovely image, right? But And you turn on the stove and you slowly raise the temperature of the water. Because the frog gets used to it at every temperature gradient, the frog never drops out until it's boiled, until it dies. And that's the same point here, until all of a sudden everything fails at once. Usually it takes one person who has a lower threshold of all of it happening at once to say, oh, enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And it looks and feels like for the other person that it happened all at once, that they didn't see it coming. That they were the perfect couple until all of a sudden the spouse changed their mind and they missed step by step, piece by piece, the buildup of pain, the buildup of hurts, the buildup of disconnection that happens. And this is the threshold problem. There are a lot of things in life that work okay until they don't work. Let's just take a couple of examples. Let's say you got a prescription for an ointment. You know, you've got a tube of ointment and you're, you're using it just a dab at a time. And I say this out of personal experience. Dab at a time, dab at a time, dab at a time. And it doesn't seem like you're taking hardly anything out of that tube. But if you keep doing that, eventually your tube will run out and you hit the threshold problem. One day you've got enough for the dab. The next day you don't have enough to get any more out. And it's like it's been squeezed dry or... Think about it if you're in a car, right? Your car keeps on running as long as there's gas in the tank, but as soon as the gas completely runs out, not when it's half there, not when it's an eighth of a tank, or you know, not when it's just at the very bottom, does it stop? It stops when it runs out of gas. So what if you're in a car? I remember when I was a younger person, I had one where the uh, gas meter, the gas tank meter doesn't really work. And so you're never really sure if you have a whole tank or if you're down to nothing. And so when I got the car, the person warned me that they ran out of gas sometimes. And so they had to kind of keep track of it so that they would make sure that they kept it gassed up because the car didn't act any different right before it ran out of gas. It was at that threshold moment when it was done, out of gas, couldn't go any further. And so part of what this person did, which is a pretty good way of staving off problems in a marriage is they kept the gas filled up. They kept the gas in the tank. They never let it get too low because they never knew when too low was way too low. And sometimes I kind of feel like that's what people do. The opposite of that in marriages is they, they're like, you know, we'll come back to this. We're not going to deal with this now. We'll come back to this. And they're acting as if at any point they can turn on the love, turn on the connection. That's when I talk about this pause button marriage. The pause button marriage is when you hit the pause on your relationship so that you do other things in life. Maybe take care of the kids, maybe take care of the career, maybe take care of a hobby or whatever else it is. But there's something that you go, oh, we'll come back to this. We'll get back to our you know, being lovey-doveys later on. 
And so while that's going on, there may be outward signs. You may be going through the motions like the love letters and the love notes and the anniversary cards and the trips and all the other things. And many times people will tell me where they had this spectacular vacation with the spouse just months before everything falls apart because they went on the vacation and got back on track for a little bit. The problem was they didn't realize it was kind of like, you know, if your car runs out on the highway and you bring, you know, a quarter of a gallon, you can put it in and the car will start up and it'll go a little bit, but it's not going to go far because you don't keep putting the gas in. We don't do that with relationships. We don't keep putting the nurture in. We don't keep putting the gas in. We don't put the connection in. We don't put the attention in. And along the way, at some point, you hit the threshold, the connection threshold. So what is that? Well, the feeling of being in love is the overabundance of connection. It's like you're desperate to find more connection and show more connection, but there's already so much a connection that you are in love with this person. And then over time, you get to the place where you moderate that and you or maybe still feel those in love moments, but they're less often because our brain gets back to normal and because life comes along and because we have to do that. So you're still loving your spouse. You're doing the actions of love. And over time, maybe you start, you know, maybe looking at the other things in life that need attention. And so you hit the pause button or maybe you get a little resentful because you don't feel like you're getting your fair share when you're giving all the love and not getting it. Somewhere along the way, you're eating away at that connection. If you've heard me talk much, you've heard me talk about my experience in jujitsu because I've just learned so much about life and psychology from being there, from reflecting on it from a beginner's perspective. And one of the things that happens in uh, jujitsu is one of the submissions, the, the ways you get somebody to tap out is what is called a blood choke. You're cutting off the circulation from the body, from the heart to the brain. And it doesn't take long when that's cut off for somebody to fall asleep, to go unconscious. In fact, it's only about six seconds that it takes if you compress somebody's carotid arteries the right way. But if you don't do it completely, let's say you just kind of half shut down that connection. It takes a while. And sometimes the person doesn't even see it sneaking up on them. And so a couple of times I found myself in a choke. Somebody had me and went in a blood choke. And I knew it because the room was getting dark. And I took some action very quickly to restore the flow. And so sometimes couples get a quick wake-up call. And they go, oh, we, we can't keep doing this. But sometimes they keep on pushing forward. They don't attend to that. They don't attend to the signs the lack of attention to each other, the lack of connection with each other, the lack of listening to each other, the lack of understanding with each other, the lack of acceptance. And suddenly the relationship lapses into unconsciousness. Now, many times at the beginning of that, it's real easy to get it back. You just step back into the connection. But sometimes you hold on long enough and the damage takes a while to get undone. So what do you do if you've crossed that threshold? What if the tank is dry? How do you put the gas back in the car when you're stranded out in the middle of nowhere and not sure how to get there? 
Oh, that's kind of the approach that I have taken over the years of finding ways of, of restoring that connection, of coming back into the relationship. And so I want you to think about three different pieces of this today, three simple little maybe steps that we can do today. And the first one is real easy. The first one is just to let go of the myth that this came out of nowhere. Relationships do not fall apart out of nowhere. There is a precedence to it. There is a process to it. Little by little, then all at once, as the divorce attorney said. So give up the myth that it was out of nowhere because when it's out of nowhere, it makes you feel like there's nothing you can do. There's no control. There's nothing that is on your side. And then we start blaming the spouse for what's happening, which brings us to step number two. If you can let go of the myth that it's out of nowhere, then you can turn and ask the question, what was my role in the disconnection? What role did I play in the disconnection? Now, before you say, wait, you can't blame me for this, I'm not. I'm asking you to reflect on your piece of the puzzle. Not the totality of it, but your piece of that. In every relationship, there is a relationship. There are the two people. And when one person is only willing to blame the other, there's not going to be any room for a shift. But if you can say, yeah, I played a role. I can look back and see where I had my hand on the pause button. I can see where I backed away. Even if you are to say to me, but I backed away because they were. I'm okay with that. We can, we can work through that because it's l- much more subtle than that. You know, both people have an idea of where it started, and almost always where it started is pointing at the other person. That's where it started. Not with me. I was responding to them. So let's just start with asking the question, what role did you play in the disconnection? Not for blame, but for looking for responsibility. Responsibility. Jack Canfield uh, says that responsibility is our ability to respond. We're looking for the places where we can change our response going forward, but only when we see the role we've played up to here. So far, we get to number one of being accepting of where we are and that it wasn't overnight, not all of a sudden, all of a sudden, out of nowhere. There was something going on before. So that's step number one. Step number two, to look at your role in that process which allows you to make a shift to responsibility. Step number three is make your intention in the opposite direction. In other words, you be the person who's moving towards connection, not away from it. That you be the person who is finding ways to move forward when things are tough. Because it's going to be tempting to say, okay, if you're not going to, I'm not going to. Instead of saying, if I do, they might. If I step back in, the other person might also step back in. So make it your intention to go in the opposite direction of where you've been headed. Make sure, though, that you're measured in how you do it. The reason you need to be measured is because when you are at a distance, starting too fast is dangerous. Imagine that you're me years ago. Having allowed the weight to come on and the exercise to stop... 
And you realize it one day and you look in the mirror and you go, I am going to get into shape. And so you march down to the gym and you put in some long hours to get going again. And your body is not used to it, can't handle it. So it hurts, might pull some muscles. You might do some real damage because you jumped in too fast instead of a measured approach to move back. Now, once you start slow, you can accelerate that. That was my experience, if you've heard my story. The reason I realized I needed to get back in shape is after I got sick and I was getting better, which the doctors didn't expect to happen, my wife said, you've, not, you've got to do some things you've wanted to do and you haven't done. There's only so much time that all of us have. And so she gave me some scuba lessons, something I'd always wanted to do. And at scuba class, the first class day in the pool, I realized just how out of shape I was. And so I went back to the gym the next day and I worked a little too hard. And it took me a couple of days to get beyond it, but I didn't go so hard because I had somebody at the gym going, hey, you need to slow down. You can't just jump back in. That's what coaches can often do is to make sure that we're going hard enough, but not too hard to get where we want to get to. Because if you jump back in full bore, your spouse is going to flee because now you're closing the space too fast. It's too scary to get there. So make sure you're measured in how you move towards your spouse to close the distance. And the second thing you want to do is make sure that you're working on making real changes. Not just one of those, I promise we'll change, we'll be to a better place, but making the change happen. That's the intention is to move in the direction of connection with real change. Now, a lot of people find those are uh, beyond where they can think because it's so confusing. I mean, that really is kind of what happened with me. I was so confused on how do you even start? So I had to do some reading. I had to do some study to figure out even what was the process for me to get myself to a better place, to lose some weight, to get in better shape, to take care of myself in a different way so that my body could survive and take me further in life. And if that's where you are, that's okay. I mean, most of us don't have the innate knowledge of how to make a relationship work. Many of us didn't have good models. You might not have come from an intact family. You may not have seen couples that did it any better than the two of you try to do it. And you may be a little lost. That's why I created the Save the Marriage system. If that's where you are, please check it out. You need to make your intention in the opposite direction, but you got to make sure that you know how to go in that opposite direction. You'll discover that in the Save the Marriage system. You can find it at savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. Go ahead and join up. You know, I had somebody who said, I didn't grab your uh, free offer of the week of VIP because, you know, I wanted to see what was in there. So they bought my system, but didn't trust me enough to take a free week, (laughs) which I find to be ironic. Don't be that person. That free week is what I offer when you purchase the system. So when I offer it, please grab that. Try out that. It, it make sure it may not fit for you. If it's not a fit, that's fine. You can always cancel. But if it fits, it ramps it up so much faster for you. I mean, that really is the purpose of it. We also want to make sure that you meet with one of our coaches. Uh, sometimes people don't sign up for their um, get started session with a coach because they, they think like it's going to happen right then. It's not going to happen right then. It, it will be at your convenience. You get to, to find a time that works with both my coach and your schedule. 
But you do want to sign up with that. That's on the download page. Uh, so when you have made your purchase, you go to your download page and just click the big button that says get your coaching session. But do that. Those are free to you. We want to make sure that you get started. This is my mission. You know, one of my big things is how do you help marriages that are in trouble? Because I've seen the damage of what happens. I've seen it with my extended uh, family. Uh, I have cousins that I still have no contact with that were pulled from the family because of divorce. And I saw the pain that was inflicted on the family members. And so I know very well what can happen. And I don't want that for you. So I want to provide all the resources I can to help you do that. Your step, the first one, go to savethemarriage.com, savethemarriage.com. Grab the system, grab my three-week of VIP, grab a session with one of my coaches, and get started with your intention in the other direction. It also will not turn around overnight. There is a threshold the other way, and that threshold means that sometimes you're not going to see progress immediately just like you didn't see the damage immediately. So keep moving forward. Make your intention clear. Make sure that you move towards creating the relationship that you both would want. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.